is uh, when uh, something happens, like uh, the the disaster, really, in uh, Stebbins, Alaska, they lost their, their store, so like their only grocery store is burned to the ground, and uh, their fuel depot, uh, which, of course, is their source of fuel for heating their homes and, uh, you know, running around in their, uh, in the four-wheelers and side-by-sides and that kind of thing, snowmobiles. Um, when, when you give regularly to missions, we in turn pass that on. Uh, some of it goes to our own state organization, the Alaska District, the Assemblies of God. And of course, some goes to our general headquarters in Springfield, Missouri. But uh, in, uh, in this situation where, uh, you know, we have a disaster in Stebbins, we have some reserve funds because of your giving and other churches like us uh, giving that we are able to forward immediately to those who need help. Now we've got boots on the ground in St. Michael, which is just about eight miles away from uh, uh, Stebbins, and uh, they're assessing the needs that are there and how they can most efficiently and effectively use the, the resources that are available and uh, get some help to those who are in need in Stebbins. So uh, we really appreciate your faithful giving. Um, I want to also give you an update on uh, Speed the Light. Now, uh, Speed the Light is, uh, in, is the equipping ministry of uh, our Assembly of God to help our missionaries on the field. And uh, one of the great emphasis that uh, they've undertaken in the last couple of years is water wells in Africa. And uh, we have two um, outstanding uh, professional athletes. One plays on the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers uh, in their defensive uh, team. And the other's basketball player, I think, for the Boston Celtics. And uh, they are very interested in our ministry uh, to provide water wells in Africa, African villages that have no water, you know, where they uh, have to walk miles uh, in some cases to get less than ideal water. And, uh, and so they are matching some of the funds that they are, uh, that they donate to uh, good causes have been designated Speed the Light. And because of that, um, Eric Hoffman, who is the head of our Speed the Light ministry, uh, has, for New Life is Same to God, reserved $24,000 in matching funds. So if we can raise, uh, you know, $24,000 in and of ourselves, it will be $48,000 for water wells in Africa. And I just want to give you an update on that. Um, we uh, have already raised about ten thousand uh, dollars. We had an, another three thousand and another ten thousand dollars come in, and uh, so we are we're right there. We are getting right there um, to uh, that the matching funds. And of course, if we go over the top, it will be even better. And uh, we just want to say thank you for your giving. Uh, speed of light because it is making a difference in the world. One of the things that, you know, is an outcome of that, of having a water well in your own village in Africa, you know, we talk about empowerment um, and uh, helping especially uh, young women in African countries. Now, one of the reasons why, this seems like a dumb reason, but it is a reason that African young women are not able to be educated, go to school, and, and take classes because they're walking to get water for the family. Now, it seems like a really dumb reason, but, you know, if your only water source is maybe four or five miles away, or sometimes farther, you spend all day going there, 
getting enough water for the family for the day and bringing it back so you don't have any time to go to school. And when there's a water well in your village, young ladies can go to class. They can go to school. And so it makes a huge difference in not only, you know, the fact that it's more convenient for them and the water is of better quality, but it empowers young ladies for a future beyond just retrieving water uh, back and forth. So uh, there's all kinds of benefits to that. Of course, it's presented with the gospel and, uh, you know, water well is given to a church and uh, they, they're able to make sure everybody in the village has access to that and they maintenance it and, and that kind of thing. So anyway, uh, your missions giving is just powerful in the world wherever it goes and uh, we just want to say thank you for your support of missions again speed the light or uh, you know support for you know Alaska missions uh, we will honor those designations and and uh, just say thank you for that well let's get into our word today and uh, we're launching out of uh, Luke chapter 1 and uh, verses 31 through 33. If you're finding that in your Bible, I encourage you to do so. We're early in December. What is today? December 4th. And so we're four days into it. Now, uh, something that would maybe just help you get, you know, in the rhythm of reading your Bible daily is uh, if you, if you uh, start at Luke chapter 1, you will on Christmas Day finish the book of Luke, okay? And if you read one chapter every day, so if you haven't started that process, you just have to catch up with, you know, reading four chapters as of today, and then tomorrow you read uh, Luke chapter 5, and then 6, uh, and so on, until, until we get to Christmas. So uh, I would encourage you to do that if you haven't yet read your Bible through from cover to cover. Make it a goal. Make it a goal for 2023, and there are Bible reading guides available uh, for free in, in the back where the bulletins are on the little tables at the back of our sanctuary, and and uh, I would just encourage you, if it takes you longer than a year, guess what? You are not disqualified, okay? You don't get voted off the island. None of that happens. There's no penalties. No police will come to your door and arrest you, okay, if you don't make it through in a year. Just keep going until you finish your Bible. So if it takes you two years or, you know, three years or whatever, that's fine. Just keep reading and uh, get through your Bible from cover to cover. All right, so let's get back to the message here. Luke chapter 1 and verse 31. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom. There will be no end. Of course, the context of this is the angel speaking to Mary. Angel appearing to her and foretelling or prophesying how God will use her in the coming days. Now this passage is interesting because it, is, it speaks to the immediate that Mary did conceive and uh, you know, will bring forth a son uh, and call his name Jesus. And that's the immediate part of this prophecy. And then, and then it just takes a huge leap, it kind of seamlessly here, and talks about the end of time. So uh, it skips right over this era between when Jesus, after Jesus was born, his ministry and, and his ascension back into heaven, and then, the, and then the church age in which you and I live, uh, is skipped entirely in this little passage here. So uh, part of it is fulfilled, part of it has yet to be fulfilled. Uh, and that's what we look forward to. We look forward to the last part of this prophecy from the angel to Mary. 
you know, we, we think about this, you know, what is the likelihood of, that a baby born 2,000 years ago in an obscure village in, in Israel would have the effect on the earth as Jesus has had over two millennia? Think about that. A baby born in Bethlehem, in obscurity, was of no royal lineage. He, he uh, had no prominence, and yet Jesus has affected more lives uh, in the last 2,000 years than any other single person. Uh, what is the likelihood that this baby would come back to earth to establish his kingdom forever and ever? Pretty amazing to think about. That's exactly what was prophesied, not only here by this angel, but 700 years before by the prophet Isaiah and 530 years uh, prior by the prophet Daniel. Before this baby was even born, hundreds of years, this prophecy uh, was spoken. It's fantastic to think about. You know, just think, what would the world be like if Jesus had not come? Well, there are, uh, you know, the, the effect of Jesus uh, that he has had on, you know, mankind ever since his coming and, and the Gospels has entirely, you know, changed uh, this, the, the world. There's, a, there's an interesting field of study that studies things called tipping points. How many have ever heard the term tipping point? Uh, where there is an event or there is something that... Uh, changes everything that uh, from that point forward or uh, influences things in a way that you know are unforeseen before that and uh, so the the idea with tipping points is finding the time or the significance of what may even appear insignificant at at the time and yet the end result is that something tips and creates a trend a paradigm or culture shift or cause a product to, to become greatly desired. And, uh, you know, we have different words for tipping point, uh, like going viral. Things go viral, right? All of a sudden, everybody's talking about, everybody's doing, everybody, you know, is involved. Jesus, when he was born, created a tipping point. He was obscure. Nobody noticed. You know, we read the Christmas story. We will through this month. Um, and on Christmas Eve, Christmas Sunday... But what was going on when Jesus was born? Nobody noticed except some shepherds, and then maybe a couple, three years later, uh, the, the wise men from the east came and, and celebrated and honored this newborn king. But nobody noticed when it happened. And yet that event has tipped, <laughs> tipped the world. And uh, does so to this day. It has created things that we never foresaw happening. You know, one of the more significant factors uh, among several in tipping points is time. The timing of any such event or person or thing or happening. Timing is, is huge, you know, and Scripture seems to agree with this in the, uh, in the original languages. And, and uh, most of the New, New Testament, of course, you know, was written Aramaic and a little bit of Hebrew. And, and it was translated into the Greek language. And uh, in the Greek language, there are two words for time. One we're very familiar with, you know, and especially when the preacher starts preaching, we, we are concerned with chronos time. How long is this guy going to speak, right? And so that, that's the, you know, the measurement of time, you know, seconds, minutes, hours, you know, uh, on into years. And, uh, and so we're very familiar with it. But there's a different kind of word that describes a, a different application of time, and it's the word kairos. We uh, really have no English equivalent for the word 
kairos, but it refers to the season of change when the world's direction uh, can be sometimes dramatically altered by foreordained events or great accomplishments. And, and uh, God is, is more involved, I think, you know, with, with chronos time, you know, in, in our lives because of the timing of certain things. And uh, certainly, you know, this is backed up in Scripture. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 and 5 refers to this. It says, but when the fullness of time had come. What is the fullness of, why was time full? But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. What is, what is Galatians talking about here? It's talking about a Kairos event. So when the timing was right, God sent forth his son, and here's what changed, here's what tipped. Those who were under the law were to be redeemed. And they come out from under the law and now into this era and season and Kairos moment of grace that you and I, which uh, we live in. So this seemingly insignificant act of, of Jesus being born in Bethlehem not only overturned the law or an entire religious system, but it was the beginning of the establishment of a new kingdom, one that would be eternal, one to which everyone who desired could belong to for eternity. Of course, you and I are looking for that kingdom. We can look into the prophecies here of this event that so many missed when Jesus was born. Isaiah chapter 9 and verses 6 and 7. Again, 700 years before the event took place, Isaiah spoke this. He said, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Okay, so, so that has happened. Here's what hasn't happened yet, okay? The government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So we're waiting for that day. When all the entire prophecy, part of the prophecy has been fulfilled, right? Jesus has been born. And then his government, if you will, his kingdom will come uh, to earth. And you and I will forever uh, be with the Lord in that uh, kingdom. So the government shall be upon his shoulder. That is yet to come. 200 years after Isaiah... Daniel's on the scene, and this is a little longer passage, so you may even want to follow along in your, in your scripture. Daniel chapter 2, uh, I'm going to read two somewhat lengthy passages here, but again, I want you to understand the gravity of this. The, the tipping point has tipped, and all the effect of it has not transpired yet. So Daniel's now interpreting a dream for the pagan king Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. It troubles him. No one could interpret it except Daniel, and he was called. And so here is his response to the king. You, O king, were watching, and behold, a great image. This great image, whose splendor was excellent, stood before you, and its form was awesome. This image's head was of fine gold, and its chest and arms of silver, and its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, and its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. 
you watched while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay, and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found. And the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Goes on verse 44 and 45. And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms and it shall stand forever. Inasmuch as you saw that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands and that it broke in pieces, the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation is sure. Imagine this, with the angel is speaking to Mary in that moment that we commemorate and celebrate uh, every Christmas season that you will be with child and the government will be on his shoulder and his government and kingdom will see no end. The angel is drawing on the prophecies of Isaiah and Daniel here and speaking them about this child that is born in Bethlehem. This is the subject of everything that we've just read. And uh, to understand that, you know, that we are, we are in process of that prophecy coming to pass. In the prophetic imagery, what Daniel saw and speaks of here, the significance was that a, a stone, if you will. Notice, notice the change here, the stone. Something less significant that eventually becomes a mountain that fills the whole earth. And all of a sudden, you know, we see something from insignificance to entire significance uh, come to pass. And of course, this is speaking of the kingdom of the Messiah who would come. And he would replace all other kingdoms, all other kingdoms, including the United States of America, if you will, are all going to pass away with no trace of them ever to be found. And Jesus will rule and reign in the throne of his father, David. So the new kingdom will crush all the previously existing kingdoms and become the kingdom that fills the entire earth. And the kingdom that Jesus came to begin 2,000 years ago started small, and yet it continues to grow. Jesus kind of explained this in many ways when he talked about the kingdom of heaven in the, in the Gospels. Matthew chapter 13 is one of those examples. Okay, Jesus is not really talking here about making bread. He's talking about the kingdom and how it starts insignificant. And yet, it affects everything. Matthew 13, verse 31, he says, Another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. Well, he's talking about the kingdom of heaven. What is he talking about? He's talking about his own kingdom. He's talking about the kingdom in which he will rule and reign. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all seeds. It's one of the smallest seeds that there are. But what is grown is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air and neck come and nest in its branches. Another parable he spoke to them, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leavened. 
So what Jesus is saying is that this kingdom that is coming, that you and I look for, that has been prophesied for uh, millennia, uh, and, and here we are today yet to realize the, the outcomes of, of, this, of this prophecy, we anticipate it. And Jesus is saying it starts small. Don't miss it. It, it may be small, but it's not insignificant. I imagine most of us here have at one point um, seen a mustard seed, and, and they are indeed very, very small. And when you think about what comes out of something so small, maybe the size of the head of a pin, okay? Something of that size, you know, so insignificant, so small, you know, to drop it in the, in the ground is to lose it. You'll never find it again. It's so infinitesimally small that we will never know until it begins to grow and of course it grows you know it pops out with a little sprig and and a little branch and then it continues to grow until it becomes the largest of its kind and and that's the way the kingdom of God works even in us you know it's like you know when the kingdom of God comes into our own heart that seed of the kingdom you know gets planted in our heart sometimes it doesn't look obvious you know when we come to Christ and we accept you know his forgiveness of our sin and and accept salvation and have the hope of eternal life do we change all at once <laughs> all of a sudden you know we go from sinner to a full saint right how many of you know that sometimes there's a process involved, right? <laughs> and we might see some, some little growth of that kingdom in our, in our heart, but you know, each and every day that, that kingdom grows larger and larger until it affects and influences the whole of us. And that's one of the powerful changes that, that happens when Christ comes, and that's part of his kingdom working in us. And uh, you know, there, there's a literal kingdom, uh, that will come, and uh, you know that's a whole subject of eschatology. You know, where the new heavens and the new earth. Uh, you know, where righteousness is going to dwell, and Christ is going to be there, and all those wonderful prophecies that come out of the end of the book of the Revelation, and and uh, we look forward to that day. But you know, there's a process. There's a tipping point in our lives where that kingdom gets planted into our lives, and uh, you know. We may not look or feel any different after Christ immediately comes into our heart, um, but it grows, and it begins to affect all of us, and it begins to affect and influence everything that we begin to say and do until the kingdom of God fully takes place in us. And that's what Jesus is looking for. You know, no matter how small it may have begun, a baby in Bethlehem, and so unlikely babies, some shepherds, carpenter and his wife, this kingdom is going to fill the earth. So his kingdom, as depicted in the prophecy of Daniel, is like a rock, stable, and it will grow, and it will fill the entire earth. And, you know, in a time, time like this, I think we are kind of in a, of course, not the same magnitude of, of Jesus coming to earth, but I think right now, I think right now, the day in which you and I live is a Kairos time. I think it's a, if you will, it, it is uh, infused with change. I, I think of any word that we've heard in the last few years, change is among one of the words that constantly gets repeated. Or, you know, we talk about new normals, or we talk about, you know, things being different. Well, they certainly are. And uh, I think there's a tipping point. We're in the midst of a tipping point in our uh, world. And uh, not only us, you know, in America, but certainly world 
wide and uh, there are some great changes coming. I think this, this tipping point, you know, I, I read kind of interesting to me uh, and I check on it once in a while. Um, it was uh, studied first by uh, the atheist uh, architect, uh, Buckminster Fuller, uh, some many years ago. And he studied how often knowledge doubles. And for millennia, it seemed like knowledge doubled about every 100 years. And then came the Industrial Revolution, and the doubling of knowledge just took off exponentially. Currently, probably depending on what source you consult, uh, they, they estimate that knowledge, and there's different kinds of knowledge, there's scientific knowledge, there's, you know, uh, knowledge about health and, you know, all kinds of areas. But in general, knowledge in, in our day and age right now is doubling about every 12 months. And they foresee a time where knowledge will double because of technology every 12 hours. I think that's a Kairos moment. <laughs> And, uh, you know, even Daniel kind of refers to this near the end of his book uh, in the Old Testament. He says, in, in the time of the end, knowledge shall increase. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. I think we, we see, you know, maybe some signs of that, that there's no specificity in that, but I think we see signs of that happening in the world in which we live. The, the digital age can usher in more uh, control and surveillance than has ever been seen. You know, health, money, food, communication, all those things are being changed right now. And I, I don't know, how many are old enough to have dialed a rotary phone? How, how many, how many in, the, in the room are old? Okay, at 9 o'clock, there's a lot more of us than there is at 10.30. <laughs> you know, and then we thought we were pretty smart, you know, and we had cordless phones. Do you remember being attached to the wall, you know, and something was just out of reach while you're talking on the phone? And uh, so limiting, and then we thought we were so smart, you know, and we got cordless phones, and, you know, the phone would ring, would pull out that antenna, hello, you know, talk. You know, you ever watch a movie where that happens, and you just think, ooh. <laughs> we thought we were so cool. Anyways, things are changing. Why? Because it's, it's technology-driven, and, uh, and it... And it influenced our lives more and more. And in a Kairos time of unprecedented change, it's good to know your faith can be rooted in a kingdom, like a, like a mountain, if you will, that will never change. That's the hope that we have. That is the sense of peace that we can uh, have during great times of change. I don't know about you. Change... I've, kind of deduce this about change in general. If I'm in charge of the change, it's the best thing that ever happened, right? But changes, changes that, is, that are forced upon us, we're less comfortable with, right? And uh, we don't, may not want to change, we don't see the value in change or whatever, but, you know, we like change if, if we're the ones instituting the change or uh, making it happen. But uh, during times of change where we are not in charge, there is a great sense of peace. Now, now this is the second Sunday of Advent. And uh, last Sunday, we, the, the first Sunday of Advent, we referred to hope and how important hope is. And, and the, the message of Jesus being born in Bethlehem gives us hope. Why? Because of his kingdom, there will be no end. And we are part of that kingdom. And that gives us hope for the future. This Sunday, we, the emphasis is on peace. And when you have hope, peace 
is its cousin. (laughs) Hope and peace come together. And we don't have to fear because we know ultimately is that we have a permanent home awaiting for us. You know, and, and as nice as this world is to, to most of us, it's, it's not nice to everyone. You know, we're, we're out and about a little bit yesterday, and, and uh, don't you just love the, the snow and, the, you know, the frost gathering on the trees? And I mean, that's just beautiful. Uh, it, it, try not to ever take that for granted. You know, I live on the other side of the river, and so I cross the, the bridge every day and drive across the Kenai Flats, and uh, I never get tired of the view. <laughs> I have one of the most beautiful commutes in the world, uh, and it's right here where we live. And, uh, you know, so it's a beautiful world in some ways, but today, you know, there are problems of, of great magnitude. You know, we're, we're praying for the people in Stebbins. You know, they, they've experienced a devastating loss, and uh, we're doing what we can do to help them with that, but it goes beyond that. You know, there's starvation in parts of the world. There's AIDS. There's, of course, COVID. Um, just a, a former member of our congregation since uh, moved to Washington uh, passed away yesterday because of COVID, just got the news. Um, you know, religious strife, there's poverty, a lot of things that we really don't have ultimate solutions for. And, and the question is, what, what's going to happen? Well, Jesus, the baby in Bethlehem, came to provide the solution, a home in heaven for every human being who will who will hear the message of salvation and accept Christ's forgiveness. It's a permanent solution. It's a permanent place where we will find joy, happiness, without any spoiler. With salvation, no matter what difficulty we find here, we have the eternal hope of a permanent home in heaven. And so we have our eternity secured, and that gives us a sense of peace. Would you bow your heads today as we close in prayer today? And maybe you don't know Christ as your Savior and Lord, but we want to give you this opportunity to make that decision. It's a simple one. We kind of break it down into three parts to help us understand. And that starts with admitting that we're sinners. Romans 3.23 tells us, For all have sinned, come short of the glory of God. So that means every pastor you've ever met is a, has started out as a sinner. <laughs> Every good and nice person was born a sinner. We are all sinners. And the result of that is the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God, that's here's the good news. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's his kingdom that's coming. He's coming for us. So once we admit we're sinners, the next step then is to believe. Romans 10.10 says, For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So it gives us two steps there. Believe, which counts as righteousness, and then the third step is to confess our sin. Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's that simple. So if you want to just make this prayer your own, right where you are, we encourage you to do so. If you want to reach out to Jesus today. Jesus, we admit we're sinners. We're born sinners. Nobody had to teach us how to sin. It came natural to us because that was our nature. But Lord, today we believe that you can and will forgive us of our sin. 
that you can make your kingdom come to pass in our lives. And Lord, it might start small. But Lord, each and every day that we follow you, it's watered, it grows until your kingdom fills us entirely. So we confess you as the Lord of our lives. Would you forgive us of our sin? Lord, we want to follow you. We want to follow your word, which guides and directs us. And put your Holy Spirit within us to be that compass that always points us in the right direction. Lord, that we would live for you and that your kingdom would come to us in Jesus' name. Amen.